What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, and welcome to another episode of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we focus on a different skill that you can learn to enhance your skill set, improve your marketability, diversify your career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. This episode's skill, understanding basic design principles. Technical communicators wield the power of plain language to ensure their readers find and understand the information they need to complete a task, no matter how complex. Basic design principles, such as alignment, contrast, and other principles you'll learn in this episode, give your documentation the extra lift it needs to engage readers throughout your documentation. That's why in this episode, we have Lacey Ketavong on the podcast, marketing and member coordinator at Stoke, a co-working space based in Denton, Texas, and also a former technical communicator in both industry and academia, deploying design principles for several different mediums. Joining us as well is Jared Doran at Knowledge Owl, longtime sponsor of the Not Boring Tech Writer, to discuss design principles from a knowledge-based software company's perspective as well. In this episode, you will learn everything you need to know to begin using basic design principles in your documentation. Enjoy. Lacey, hello there. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing well, thanks. I'm happy to hear it. How's life in Denton, Texas? It is lovely. The seasons are turning, and our town right now is just a great place to be. So, love Denton. <laughs> for listeners who may not be aware, um, I'm a resident of Denton as well, and I had the the pleasure of stopping by Lacey's home. It, Couple couple weeks ago, I think you were giving my partner a, a Harry Potter book. Oh yes, and I am just Ooh, which so... one? Yeah, which one was it? It was the seventh one, uh, so Deathly Hallows. Yes, the grand finale. Yeah, the end of her reading journey of Harry Potter this year. So happy to help. Yes, I think she knocked it out in just a matter of days, and I was moving on to I think some some other variations. I guess they got into the picture book game. Seems like quite the Robust suite of Harry Potter publications. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lacey, thank you uh, for joining us on the Not Boring Tech Writer. And then this is a a special episode. We have a co-host in this episode, Jared Doran, who is an employee at Knowledge Owl, a a longtime sponsor of the Not Boring Tech Writer. Jared, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Um, the seasons are also turning here in Melbourne, Australia, uh, but they are turning from winter to spring. So uh, oh. it's a strange time. I'm I'm from the UK originally, so it's strange to feel the seasons the other way around. But uh, yeah, um, I'm doing good and happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, before we begin, Lacey, I would love to take some time to learn a little bit more about you and the work you've done in Denton. I know you and I have known each other um, more so as acquaintances, it's evolved into a friendship, but I know we had some classes together back in our time at the University of North Texas, and now you're doing some great work um, here in Denton. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to these days professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am a Dallasite turned Dentonite. Mm. Uh, I've been here for about nine years um, for school, and then I just stayed. So my journey into technical communication was really interesting. 
Um, I've always enjoyed writing. I love words. Yeah. And, you know, the prospect of an English major was not um, as appealing <laughs> as what a technical writer mm. could do. Um, so from undergrad, I moved into philosophy wow. and then into technical communication. So that was a really interesting um, journey. But philosophy is about finding yourself, right? So sure. here I am, a technical communicator. Um, so the work that I do in Denton is primarily through Stoke, which is a co-working space and entrepreneurial hub up here. Um, our tagline is cultivating community and empowering entrepreneurs. And mm. I'm honored to be able to do that as the marketing and member coordinator. Um, so it's a lot of inviting people in, making connections, um, facil facilitating that community building um, in terms of just telling them about what we do and our events and programs um, and that type of thing. So it's great to be able to apply what I learned in TechCom to my work in Denton. I always love hearing about technical communicators who didn't maybe follow, you know, the formal TechCom path. Like often, perhaps, um, if their university does offer some kind of TechCom concentration, perhaps they pursued that. Maybe they got into it from a computer science route. But you initially dabbled in philosophy, which I imagine. Jared can relate to as well. Jared, didn't you have, um, you know, a more, uh, trying to think of the right word, but some, some great variety in your undergrad life before getting into the tech com game. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Um, I, I started my uh, professional career uh, teaching English in Japan and China wow. and Spain. Um, and then I sort of moved sideways into sort of... Um, I suppose the technical side of things, uh, I started sort of in SEO stuff, but then um, I ended up uh, working in PR uh, at quite a large firm in Scotland, and from there I sort of moved into communications. So I actually wanted to ask you, Lacey, like, do you do you think that because it sounds like you had apart from philosophy after that you aimed to go into tech writing straight away, but it sounds to me like sometimes people come to at it from a different angle or from a different career. Which is more prevalent? Do you think? Definitely coming at technical writing, technical communication from a different angle. Um, straight out of grad school, out of the professional and technical communication program, I actually landed a gig with the University of Texas at Austin as a sustainability mm. consultant. Um, so I applied my technical communication skills in completing this uh nationally used report it's called stars sustainability tracking assessment and rating system um, i did that alongside copywriting for a dental right. marketing agency um, and i also adjunct taught at a community college um, in english composition and on the side worked as a receptionist at an animal hospital all at the same time wow <laughs> animal hospital you must have seen so many cute animals <laughs> i did it was a very part-time gig um it was very different you know from all of the technical stuff that i was doing and i got to snuggle a lot of puppies and kittens so oh, oh my it god was that's the best lovely yes so in that season of life where i was working four jobs straight out of this awesome program trying to find um where i could really apply my skills and what i learned in grad school it was mm. it was nice 
Lacey, let's reflect a little bit on your time um, in UNT's tech comm program. Whenever I think about my own time there, you know, of course, the, the writing naturally clicked for me, like you, like I've always seen myself as a writer. But when it came to design, I, I admittedly would feel quite overwhelmed at times. Like I understood that it was an essential skill for a technical communicator to be able to do some basic design in addition to writing. But it was quite intimidating at first. Um, did you have, you know, a similar feeling as all these design principles were introduced to you? What was that like for you? I did. I really did feel um, a bit overwhelmed by learning all of the principles and mm-hmm. and new tools like InDesign and Photoshop. And it just, it was a lot um, to learn in a semester, I suppose. But um, I still use the text to this day for inspiration mm-hmm. or just to consult. Um, and those texts include, what is it? The Non-Designer's Design Book, which is great, and White Space is Not Your Enemy. Mm. Um, and really what helped the most was um, guidance from our design professors. So I learned from Dr. Fries at UNT. And one of the first moments that I felt overwhelmed um, was working on these iterations of documents. So he would change one line of text and bold it, or maybe just turn it into all uppercase. And then for the next version, you would change the body text. And then for the next version, you would move um, the alignment over, you know, Mm. you might center it Mm. or left align it. And then for the next version, you would change colors and the net, you know, so that was one of the first, um, practices in design that I I was like this is I don't I'm not sure if this is for me sure (laughs) this Mm. is a lot Um, and the culminating kind of project was a design portfolio and that was very daunting um, at the beginning but what I learned from that is that you do need to iterate and you need to give yourself time from the first version to the very last version which might be 20 versions later Um, so yeah it was feeling like I'm not sure if I'm really going to enjoy this. Um, and then at the end of thinking, wow, you know, these um, principles can be applied almost anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. We can use them in our work. We can use them in communications like for side projects or just, you know, in personal life, designing things. Um, and, and there's a great acronym which can go one of two ways. It can be CARP or CRAP. <laughs> <laughs> And that stands for, um, let's go with crap. Let's have a laugh. Um, <laughs> contrast, repetition, alignment, and proximity. So those four things, if you consider each of those um, principles when you're designing a document, it'll really, it'll take you pretty far um, and help you get to that final version that you're proud of and that you can release into the world. And listeners, if you're curious about those two texts, that Lacey mentioned, we'll include this in the show notes, get some hyperlinks. So if you're trying to step up your own design game as well, sounds like some good text to refer to long-term. I feel like we should rewind a little bit and maybe help um, maybe the students in TechCon, maybe folk there, maybe their first or second job in technical communication, help them better understand what we even mean whenever we talk about design 
in the case of technical communication, you know, perhaps their first thought is, oh, design just means creating logos. Design just means, you know, creating brochures. But that's not exactly the case when it comes to some basic design principles in TechCom. As you allude to, Lacey, it's more so thinking about how um, maybe the copy or the message that you're trying to tell your audience is actually presented on the page. For, for folk who may be new to this kind of conversation, TechCom, could you give us a high-level overview of you know, what design really means when we're talking about TechCom? Sure, I will do my best on that. <laughs> um, so when we're talking about design and technical communication, um, it is present everywhere, which I think was one of my favorite parts um, about taking that design class and really learning about it. So any student can relate to cracking open a textbook or these days maybe looking at the ebook version. Um, and kind of skimming through a text. Mm -hmm. So you'll have titles and subtitles, headings and subheadings, copy, and you'll have maybe call-out boxes or charts and graphs um, that you're looking at in a textbook. Um, the way that those titles and subtitles and headings and the body text look are not just haphazardly you know, thrown on the page. Yeah. It is strategically done. And so that, you know, is one aspect of design. Um, when you're out in the world, you know, you might be walking around, there might be flyers in the windows and things like that. Um, what pops out at you? What on that flyer um, will you remember when you walk away? That's another um, way that design comes into play. Um, and as technical communicators, you kind of walk through the world and think of it like that. Um, and sometimes you can turn it off, but sometimes, you know, you're like, oh, that was a horribly designed um, advertisement <laughs> or, you know, um, but yeah, so it really isn't just graphics, you know, when you talk about design, it is, you're looking at typefaces and you're looking at colors and you're looking at imagery. Is there going to be, um, is this going to be an icon that you're using or are mm -hmm. you going to use a photograph? you know, an overlay text um, and things like that. So it's really about no matter, you know, what you do, if you're a technical communicator or uh, an engineering student or someone in criminal justice, um, design and technical communication is about, you know, thinking about who you're trying to address and what you want them to take away and remember or be able to do when they're done looking at whatever it is that you created. Yeah, that's a great transition into a couple questions that Jared and I discussed last night. You know, we were talking about basic design principles. We discussed CRAT briefly. Um, but then he, he, he had a great point of, you know, Jacob, what about the conversation of accessibility? Jared, what are your thoughts on this? Do you have any questions in relation to, you know, where accessibility comes into play when we're talking about design principles and tech comp? Well, uh, we have been having discussions internally within Knowledge Owl recently regarding accessibility. And I guess, Lacey, I just wondered whether um, accessibility is a big consideration when you come to design a document. Like, do you, how do you, how would you factor that in? You know, one of the first things that you consider, um, my most recent kind of frame of reference for this is a training for the community college that I adjunct for. Um, right. 
And when you think about how screen readers work, um, which is an assistive technology for people who may be vision impaired um, or anything like that, you have to consider um, how you're designing that document. So screen readers pick up on things like headings and subheadings and body text. Um, but when you put something into a table rather than have it in a bulleted list, that may be a little confusing for the person who's needing to use mm. the screen reader. Yeah. I've um, heard it comes out kind of garbled for the person on the other end, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So that is something um, to think about when you're designing, whether it's going to be a word document or a PDF, um, or if you're using a graphic within a document, you have to consider the alt text that you're going to include. Um, of course. And I really think that that is where the design principles come in handy. So if you apply them correctly, um, then your document is almost all ready to go and almost already accessible. Um, so yeah, that's following those principles will help you make your document accessible from the start. Sure. Lacey, if folk aren't familiar with screen readers and alt text, give us a brief definition of those two items. Sure thing. So screen reader, um, as I mentioned, is kind of a tool uh, for people who, you know, are visually impaired or might have a learning disability. Um, and that just enables them to hear the text being read to them or mm. having it presented to them in a certain way that um, enables them to process that as someone else would. Um, and what was the second part of that question, Jacob? The alt text. Oh, yes. So with images that you include in something, um, and in some programs, alt text will be automatically generated for you, but you do want to check it. Um, you're able to go in and kind of describe what is in oh, this fantastic. image in the, in the document. So let's say you have designed a a presentation about the murals in Denton, Texas. And, you know, you want everyone who will be experiencing this presentation to know what's going on um, and to really be able to engage with what you have in front of them. Mm. So the alt text in that presentation, for example, the mural on the side of Andy's bar might read something like, Mural depicting persons on motorcycle, vivid colors. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that is what alt text can be. Jared, you have an interesting perspective on this working for a knowledge-based company, you know, uh, a company that's providing a software that tech writers may actually be using to create their documentation. You know, Lacey gave a few great examples of accessibility in terms of, you know, perhaps a presentation, perhaps on a website. What do you think this looks like when we're actually talking about software documentation that a tech writer might be creating? I guess you just have to consider your audience quite carefully when you are designing something like that. Um, I have to say that's not really my area of expertise within Knowledge Isle, but I know that some of our 
Uh, some of my colleagues are very interested in accessibility. In fact, I was going to say, uh, Jacob, that the reason we've been speaking about uh, accessibility recently is because um, uh, a, fr a friend of the show, uh, Kate, uh, who you've had on previously, yes. uh, she brought to our attention that there's going to be a virtual conference regarding accessibility next year. This is not a sponsored promo. This is a personal uh, endorsement because I think it sounds like a really cool uh, conference. Um, but it's it's called AxCon, A-X-E hyphen C-O-N. Um, it's happening in uh, March 10th and 11th, 2021. And it, it describes itself as an open and inclusive digital accessibility conference that welcomes developers, designers, business users, and accessibility professionals of all experience levels. So I just wondered if that might be something that your listeners might be interested in. Absolutely. We'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Sounds like a great conference. And Knock it out virtually. I feel like that's going to be the the theme of our continuing education for the next yeah. several, <laughs> next several months, which is fine, which is fine, making it work. Um, Lacey, I'm, I'm going to propose a, a scenario to you. So, okay, you know, I'm I'm a technical writer. I got my prose down, got my cadence down. I'm writing in plain language, but when I'm looking at my documents, I'm just looking at a wall of text. If someone were to tolerate it and work through it line by line, I know they're going to get the takeaway that I'm trying to, to give them, but it might be challenging to do so because it's a pain to look at. <laughs> if, if I'm that tech writer, what are just some low-lift, modest things that I can do when it comes to basic design principles that I can do to make my documents much more readable for my audiences? It's all 10-point font. It's all Arial. Oh, it's no. It's just well, all a sans serif. Oh goodness! Okay. What What do <laughs> we do? At least it's not Comic Sans, right? Oh boy! <laughs> Take that Comic Sans elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you said that you have your prose and your cadence down. So it sounds like you know um, what are the most important things uh, that your reader needs to know. It sounds like um, you probably have topics per chunk. Mm. Um, so why don't we pull out some of those topics and turn them into headings and then reformat those headings, um, make them very different from that 10 point font. So let's say, let's go up a couple um, sizes. Let's say make that those headings 14 bold. You can keep them Arial if you want, you know, because you can, and in many cases should change headings, um, from body text. Um, and then let's see, you've got 10 point body text. Um, what can you space the part? What can you do to break that page up? Um, we didn't talk about line length at all, but if this spans all the way across, you know, an eight and a half by 11 page, maybe we can chunk those things into um, shorter line lengths. Can you turn those things into columns? Maybe. Is there anything that you can turn into a bulleted list? Um, are there any parts that are instructions? Is it mostly descriptive? Um, consider those things when you're moving text around um, to kind of help your reader not just be staring at a wall of text. Mm. Lacey, can you tell us what you mean by chunk? Yes. Um, so I guess the word chunk kind of brings up... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What image does it bring up for y'all? I, I love the idea of like a sort of amorphous chunk that all of your information sits in. I think it's kind of 
It could be however you want. <laughs> I personally think of sloppy joes. Oh, 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 okay. So a chunk that kind of spills out. All right. <laughs> but but I, I do really, because I, I know what chunk is in regards to what you're discussing. And when I think about my you know journey of learning some of these basic design principles, it's undoubtedly what I um, you know, try to implement most often. You know, mm-hmm. we know that headers are very important in creating a readable document, but you know, it might be challenging for someone to think, okay, what what do I make the header about? Do I just pick it at random? But no, just it, like you said, what's the general theme of the paragraphs? Do they relate to one another? Chunk them together, throw in a header, you're good to go. Yeah, I, I like the I like the culinary connection of your sloppy joes metaphor because <laughs> actually dividing your text up into chunk is going to make it more digestible. Oh, yes, <laughs> there you go. That is a great analogy. I was thinking about a chocolate chip chunk. <laughs> That's a good one too. I mean, yeah. So you know, you're happy to see that chunk, which is this kind of little square shape in the cookie, and your eye goes there, and you're thinking, "All right, I'm going to focus on this." chunk this piece this square mm-hmm. um, of chocolate or square of text on a page um, and that kind of helps you remember what's important like yeah with those headings or headers um, that you just mentioned Jacob it's likely what you'll remember about whatever you're reading in 30 minutes or in a day you know so you might have to dig back into the body text but when you pull out a high level kind of topic and turn that into a heading on a page that helps you that helps the reader remember what is most important from this document delivering it one chocolate morsel at a time that's right absolutely <laughs> and, and, and even reflecting back on the accessibility conversation um, another way to consider accessibility is how easy is it for the audience to find the information that they're looking for so we know in you know, the software documentation game. We're not seeing so much more of, you know, single articles where people have to span through header after header to find what they're looking for. We're seeing a lot of, um, you know, kind of micro articles that are focusing on just a particular um, action that the user might want to do. And I I think about Knowledge Owl, admittedly, in this conversation, you know, say you're creating a piece of documentation and you have all these headers and say, you know, the end goal is, you know, how do I produce a podcast? And within that, you know, you have to, you know, find a guest, you have to edit the podcast, you have to publish it to your podcast host, but maybe your audience is just looking for one particular action within the end goal. You know, I've already interviewed my guest. I'm already edited the podcast, but how do I publish it? I think about Knowledge Owl. If I'm cranking out these headers, Knowledge Owl has this fantastic tool at the top where it'll list all the headers at the top of the article mm-hmm. and then hyperlink me straight to that header that may include the information that I need. So that's perhaps another way to think about that accessibility conversation of, you know, how quickly can I find that little morsel that little chocolate morsel of information that i need as opposed to just having to scan through all of the headers of a particular document jared have, have you are you familiar with that feature that y'all have it's really quite helpful for the times that i've messed with knowledge owl yeah i sure am i mean i i think that part of it uh of the philosophy behind it is yes you know it's a platform onto which you can you can create 
um, technical documents quite easily, but it, mm -hmm. only one part of that sort of spectrum is creating the document and making sure it looks the way you want it to. The other part is how easy is it to search for data within it? Mm. Um, and, and I think it's that's a great feature of Knowledge Isle is that the minute you insert content into it, it's already all hooked up to our Elasticsearch. So you're going to be able to find whatever you want very quickly. And as you say, the the feature that you mentioned with the links at the top, that's one of my favorites. And it's one that I love to show to our prospective customers uh, just because it's so easy to put together and it just links up automatically. Um, so yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm a big fan. And listeners, if you're curious, um, you can maybe find a way to include that in the show notes. Maybe there's a, a demo we can pull or something like that. Cause it's a fantastic tool and definitely one to consider as you're looking for you know, a prospective knowledge-based software for your company. Lacey, as we wrap up, I got a few more questions here, unless Jared has some additional ones as well. But I'm curious, you know, you've given us a great high-level overview of basic design principles that TechCom folk can acquire um, to make their, their content more digestible, more readable, easier to understand. I'm curious, you know, if I'm inspired by this conversation, I, I think I'm a great writer, but wanna wanna step up my design game a bit. What are just some basic skills that I can begin developing today to start to begin, you know, become a better better designer? Learning Adobe Creative Suite, and mm. by learning, I mean check out some tutorials, sure, play around, um, you know, download a trial if if that's what you need to do. Um, you can also check out. Canva and Infogram and Affinity Designer. Mm. So yeah, there are a number of um, programs that you can use to kind of dip your feet into design, um, as well as reading through, flipping through um, those texts that I mentioned, White Space is Not Your Enemy, and the Non-Designers Design Book, um, to kind of think about what you are creating um, as you're doing it. So just recently I was using Photoshop and I didn't quite know how to do what it was that I wanted to do. And I won't go into detail there, but <laughs> <laughs> um, Photoshop just on the side had a couple of tutorial links that were, that led you through um, the process by having pop-ups um, on the toolbar, on the navigation bar. Mm. So that was just super helpful. Um, those things you can learn on the go. Just give yourself 15 to 20 minutes, maybe do some reading, um, but definitely those hard skills will come in handy. Um, and, you know, Canva is a great program. Um, it's con continuously um, being updated and things are rolled out to help you. You can upload um, your branding, your colors and your logo and things like that. Um, and that's super useful. Um, or you can really dive into, you know, creating icons and things like that, or trying to design your own logo. Um, but those hard skills will come in handy in your career. It, they just will. <laughs> you never yeah, know when. Yeah. Go ahead. It's funny you mentioned Canva because uh, it's not something that I've used personally, but I've definitely seen quite a number of different products come out of it from from colleagues over the years. And I'm always very impressed with how it looks. And I've always said to the person, that that looks great. And they're like, you wouldn't believe how easy it is in mm -hmm. Canva. Uh, I've heard that you 
I don't know whether this is true or not, but that Canva, you can work at a bit more of a macro level. Whereas if you want to go into the nitty gritty, you want to go into InDesign, et cetera, to get the, the micro level. Uh, but it always looks very impressive to me. Yeah, correct. On the macro and micro level, it's um, it's really good for social media posts. Um, you do have to have kind of those design principles in mind, um, or you could you could still ruin a template, but Canva makes it very hard for you to do that. So it's great. Lacey, would you think that exploring Canva might be a good first step for someone who wants to see what good design looks like? When it comes to documents, like I think about our time at um, University of North Texas, Dr. Jackson always encouraged us to, you know, gradually acquire what we thought was like good design, whether that's from a magazine, maybe a website, um, whatever the media might be. Do you think Canva might be a good space for inspiration for people to see some of the design principles, principles that we discussed today in action? I think so. Many of their, um, what have they, you know, their templates and what they've created already and categorized um, kind of have those design elements in place. So if you are looking to um, announce something or invite people to an event or, you know, things like that, Canva has categorized their templates into that, uh, into those, you know, kind of categories so that you can kind of see um, image placement, the size of the title text, the size of subtitle text. Mm. Um, those things are kind of built in for you. So it's, it's right. good practice. You should definitely learn the principles and read about them and see them. Um, there are a lot of great examples in one of the books that I mentioned side by side. Um, but yeah, Canva definitely Wow, this is also not a promotion. I'm not making for that. <laughs> I just um, love Canva. I just love it. Um, <laughs> there is actually an episode um, on the podcast, How I Built This, with the founders of Canva. Um, I believe it's that one. Oh, goodness, I could be wrong. But there's a podcast with the founder of Canva talking about you know the process um, of building up that program and that business um cool. and it's a woman that's super interesting it is please check it out maybe that is why canva has a special place in my heart because i listened to the founder but um it is very useful and it is a good mm-hmm. place to find examples um and i wouldn't deviate too far from what the template gives you so in canva you know the functionality is that you can change the colors you can move things around you can resize stuff but they have given you this template that is already well-designed. So, you know, it's easy to work with. Let's talk about prospective careers for the tech comp folk that have acquired some of these basic design principles and maybe you're looking to, you know, deviate a bit from the traditional tech comp role. They've been, you know, writing the manuals, writing the software documentation, but looking to broaden their scope a little bit. Are, are there particular roles that come to mind for the tech writer that, you know, has this basic understanding of design principles? Absolutely. Um, You could go into content creation. You could, you know, work on branding wherever you are. Um, You could work on web design. You could be in marketing like me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There are a lot of, I think, you know, job titles, um, 
where you can kind of say, these are my skills and they are applicable, even if I haven't, you know, even if my title right now is a technical writer or a technical communicator. Um, in those roles, you will, design comes into play. What If you're a copywriter, you know, it's copy is what we end up designing. Um, mm-hmm, that's right. So, yeah, I think those fields are definitely areas that you can move into, build up, you know, your skill set um, and work from there. As I didn't ever think that I would work in marketing as a technical communicator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's fun. Um, you get to write the ad creative and then you get to choose you know, the um, images that go with the ad creative, you get to design um, graphics and work on social media and create, um, you get to create a lot. So I think that's my favorite part of uh, marketing with Stoke, Um, you know, for all of the events and new programs um, and exciting things that are happening, I get to, you know, take it all in think, what are we doing here? Who are we trying to reach? Um, and then I get to make stuff. So it's, it's great. And the technical communication program definitely, um, prepared me for that in so many ways. Beautiful. I definitely relate to the feeling of, um, of feeling daunted or overwhelmed by the prospect of getting into design. I remember when I was working in marketing communications for the university of Edinburgh, um, there was a there was a time when someone want, wanted to create something quite visual. It was like a sort of pamphlet for incoming students, and they sort of turned to me and said, "You can do that, right?" And mm-hmm. I, my, now my my specialism was much more in copy production, uh, and I just had, kind of had to go, "Yes." Uh, and so I just had to go and like teach myself, you know. And, and if you go into in design, especially because that was what they wanted me to work in, if mm-hmm. you don't have any clue what you're doing, it's very intimidating. I I think, but. You know, uh, once you've got a few tutorials under your belt, I think it can be can be okay. But uh, yeah, yeah. Was it a lot of kind of frustrated clicking around in InDesign? Oh or... yes, it sure was. And also, <laughs> it, obviously, like Photoshop or some other Adobe products, it, it really benefits you to know what the keyboard shortcuts are up front mm-hmm. because you're switching back and forth from doing things, and otherwise, you find yourself endlessly navigating through menus. Um, yes. But, you know, once you see the, the products start to come together, I think that you're, you know, it's, it's easy to, uh, I guess, in the beginning, you might want to kind of trick yourself into saying, oh, I can do this. I can do this. This looks great. Look at that. Um, but it's always, it's always so satisfying to see the finished product. So it's definitely worth doing. Well, Lacey, thank you. This was an absolute joy. I know I feel a little better about my own quest to become a better designer. Jarrett, how are you feeling? Did Lacey's insights help today? Very much so. I could relate to very much of what she said, and we've learned quite a lot here today. So, Lacey, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. Lacey, if folk want to connect with you online, learn more about all the great work you're doing at Stoke, where can people connect with you online? I am on all social media. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter that I don't use very often, Instagram. Um, And, yeah, I'm on the Stoke website. Um, my handles are Lacey Kett, so three out of six syllables of my full name. <laughs> and I do have a personal project that I'm working on um, in creative writing, and that uh, page title on Facebook is not certain but pretty sure. 
It's also the name of my blog. Great. Um, yeah. So that's where you can find me. Beautiful. Well, Lacey, thank you so much. This was an absolute joy. Gerard, thank you. I know it's late. 9 a.m. in late. Denton, almost 1 a.m. Oh. Sunday in Melbourne. Yes, I think we all might be retreating to our bedrooms after this yes. for yes. different reasons. <laughs> yes, as you guys go about your day, I will be climbing into bed. <laughs> I love it. Oh, goodness. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and we'll chat very soon. Bye.